0: Come down. All right. This morning uh, we're going to be in Revelation 22 6 through 21. This is the final passage in the book of Revelation uh, when. Mary asked me if I had a title for this sermon I, I didn't really have anything at the time, but I guess we could call it the end of the end uh the, we we will be uh will be finished uh with the book of revelation after this morning and so um, when I thought about the the how to preach through this last epilogue or or this these last few verses in the book uh what I really wanted to do and take away from this was, if you read through it, which obviously we're about to, you'll see that um, there are four themes that are present throughout the entire letter that John uh, brings up again in this epilogue. Um, there, he, uh, th- these themes are woven in and out of this entire uh, book, and, and we're going to see them again here in, in this final passage. Now, one thing that is going to be a little different this morning is we're not going to necessarily go in order. Um, so we're not necessarily going to go, okay, here's verse 6 and 7. This is what they mean. Here's verses 8 and 9 like we normally do because these uh, these themes are actually kind of woven in in and out of this final passage just like they are in the book. And so we're going to discuss each theme and the verses that kind of go along with those and teach us about those themes, but it's not necessarily going to be um in in chronological order of the verses and so all that being said let's read this final passage of the book of revelation uh given to us uh from jesus through john starting in verse six it says and he said to me these words are trustworthy and true and the lord the god of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants What must soon take place? And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evil doers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the promises and the hope that you've given us uh, throughout this book of Revelation. We thank you for the security that we have in you. Uh, We thank you for uh, the trust that we can have in your love for us. And, And God, this morning, I just pray that... All of these things made realities to everyone in this room, uh, that they would know you, that they would love you deeply, that they would follow you uh, and pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the, the first theme uh, that, we, that we come across um, or that we're going to discuss this morning regarding the book of Revelation and this final passage is the theme of urgency and imminence okay and when we say urgency what we mean is there's this excitement there's this uh compulsion to we need to do something and imminence is just this idea of something is near something's about to happen and we see this all throughout the book of revelation but in this specific passage in verses uh, six and seven <clears throat> we see uh, the word soon okay what soon uh, what must soon take place in verse seven uh, it says, I'm coming soon. Verse 10, we see that the time is near. Verse 12, we see soon again. And then finally in verse 20, yet again, he says, surely I'm coming soon. And so depending on which uh, eschatolo- eschatological view you have, meaning which, which view you have of the end times, this term soon and this idea of urgency could mean slightly different things. And this morning we're not going to discuss which uh, you know all the different views and the ins, of outs, ins and outs of, of how they view this term soon because I, I really think that would miss the main point. The the one thing that all three of the main views share the one thing that they all agree on is there is a there is an undeniable sense of urgency that saturates this entire letter. W- whether uh, whether you're someone in Ephesus reading this letter in the first century, uh, whether you are a reformer in the 16th century studying the book of Revelation or whether you're sitting here in Spearman, Texas today, there is an obvious and undeniable sense of urgency within this entire book, okay? Things are happening soon. Things are imminent. Things, there's, there's things that are coming that, that should have us stirred up at least a little bit. And Jesus himself was actually constantly renewing this sense of urgency during his earthly ministry. Uh, If you turn to Mark chapter 1, as Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, to give you a little context, uh, John the Baptist has been arrested, uh, and and Jesus actually waited until John's arrest to start his earthly ministry uh, because he didn't want this, uh, he didn't want there to be this competition because a lot of people thought that John was the Messiah, uh, but John made it clear that he was in fact um, a symbolic Elijah that had come to prepare the way for the true Messiah. And so Jesus waits until John has been arrested and then he starts his earthly ministry because the, the one who came to prepare the way has now done his job, um, he's, he's been arrested and Jesus is now um, starting his ministry. And as Jesus starts this ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, he starts right off the bat with this sense of urgency. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So right off the bat, there's this uh, sense of urgency. Jesus is saying that the time had come for the Redeemer To establish the new covenant and to usher in this final stage of human history There, there was an urgency about his ministry the time is at hand his entire earthly ministry had this overwhelming attitude of urgency of the time is now and in uh john chapter 9 we see this again jesus is teaching his uh disciples uh in john chapter 9 jesus is healing a blind man and he's explaining to his disciples how important the work, he is, that the work that he's doing is because there's a sense of urgency about it because his earthly ministry would not last forever. Jesus constantly reminded his disciples that he would die, that, that he would be murdered, that he wouldn't be um, in his earthly ministry forever. It had, a, it had an end date. And, and so he was creating this sense of urgency within his ministry and with his disciples. And we see this in John chapter 9, verse 4. It says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So, what Jesus is saying there is, he's again bringing up this uh, urgency. He's saying, Hey, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be hung on a cross. I'm not going to walk with you forever like I am right now. And so there's work that the Father has set set me out to do that I have to get accomplished because the end is coming. There is this sense of urgency regarding his earthly ministry and then finally in Matthew chapter 24 we see Jesus looking out to the future and again he's urging his disciples his followers his listeners to have this sense of urgency to have this sense of I need to do something the time is now in Matthew 24 verse 42 this is what's called the Olivet Discourse In verse 42, Jesus says, he's speaking to his disciples, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known, it, uh, known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his own house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, there's different interpretations on what this means. Some people believe that the coming of the Son of Man uh, is Jesus coming back um, in judgment upon Jerusalem. And so this isn't necessarily his second coming that end, ends time. It's his coming in judgment upon Jerusalem. And then there are those that believe that this is referring to the second coming um, that is paired with the, the end of time, the, the, um, the close of human history. And really it doesn't, for our purposes this morning, it really doesn't matter which one of those you fall into because, again, what Jesus is doing is he's renewing this sense of urgency. Because whether we're discussing the fall of Jerusalem or the end of time, both of those have irreversible consequences on the listener. And we could go on and on, but but the... Um, the whole point of this is that if you read all throughout the New Testament and really all throughout Scripture and especially in this book of Revelation, there's this constant sense of urgency. There's this constant stirring up and, and, and this attitude of we need to do something now. There's, there's this mindset of something has to be done now. Now's not the time to rest, now's not the time to uh, slack off. Something needs to be done now. It's a sense of urgency. And that urgency is fueled and created by a sense of finality, okay? And I don't know if, if that's really even a word. I might have just made that up. But what I mean by finality is um, an event or something that is coming, something that is, uh, that is inescapable that's coming that's going to have irreversible uh, consequences, Something that uh, a point in time in which there are no more second chances. That's what I mean by finality. And this sense of urgency that we're given in the book of Revelation and throughout all of Scripture is fueled, it's created by the finality that it also preaches. So in John 9, 4, when Jesus is is telling his disciples, hey, I have to get this work done, well, that that urgency was fueled by the finality of Jesus' crucifixion. He knew that his earthly ministry was going to end. It was not going to last forever, and, and so that finality, that, that idea of, okay, this is going to happen, and, and I'm out of time after that, that fueled his earthly ministry and the works that he performed. In Matthew 24, when he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man, whether you're talking about the fall of Jerusalem or the end of time, there's a finality to both of those, There are irreversible consequences to both of those events. And so that that finality that comes with that is fueling a sense of urgency. We have to do something now. And in our text we're covering today in verses 12 and 13 of Revelation 22, we see that same finality that's fueling and that's spurring on this urgency in verse 12 it says behold I'm coming soon there's the urgency but here's the finality that fuels it bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done I am the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end so here's the finality Jesus is saying there's a day coming in which I'm bringing my recompense meaning I am settling all accounts and he makes clear that he has the authority to do that in that verse 13 when he says he's the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end so here, here's what the finality is there's a day coming in which Jesus is going to settle accounts and there are no more second chances there are no redos. There are no uh, opportunities to go back and do things different. It's just over, and it's that sort of finality, that sort of imminence, that sort of whatever you want to call it that that gives us this urgency. <clears throat> and I, the, the reason Scripture does that is because it fuels a passion within our lives and when I thought about this it brought up um it brought up a song uh that that kind of speaks to this uh by a guy named Jason Isbell um and the song is called If We Were Vampires and I'm just going to read a couple a few lines from it to kind of show you the idea um I know I'm talking about vampires in church it's okay um But here's some lyrics. It says If we were vampires and death was a joke, we'd go out on the sidewalk and smoke and laugh at all the lovers and their plans. I wouldn't feel the need to hold your hand. Maybe time running out is a gift. I'll work hard till the end of my shift and give you every second I can find and hope it isn't me who's left behind. It's knowing that this can't go on forever. Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. Maybe we'll get 40 years together, but one day I'll be gone, or one day you'll be gone. And the idea behind this song is that the the knowledge of, of our time being limited, the idea of, uh, of life ending should be viewed as a gift because it makes us love more deeply, it makes us love more passionately, it, it, it makes us... Uh, be that much more excited about every minute of every day because we know that this is going to end and so the knowledge of finality the knowledge of knowing that there's an ending point is supposed to um, prevent us from taking things for granted it's supposed to give us an urgency and a passion about life and about the days and the moments that we do have and I think that's the exact same reason that John stresses that so much in the book of Revelation because this finality fuels urgency in our relationship with Jesus, in our life of pursuing Him. It, it gives us that much more passion. It gives us that much more excitement. It, it causes us to love that much uh, that more deeply. And so we have this idea of finality that fuels urgency and that's such a huge theme throughout all of scripture but especially here in revelation and, and it forces us to be intentional it leads us to make the most out of every moment and that that's what revelation gives us and so this morning I you know you need to ask yourself is, is this urgency are you developing a sense of urgency that's causing you to be more intentional that's causing you to be more passionate about your relationship with Christ and about his gospel being preached to others? Or are you just missing out on, on, this, uh, on this message that John's giving us? Which really brings us to the second point, the, the second theme. So we have this urgency and this finality and it's this common theme throughout the book. But in response to that, there's a call to action. Okay, so... Um, Jesus doesn't just give us an aimless sense of urgency, like "Oh, I have to do something," but we don't know what to do, we don't know where to go. There's also a call to action that's in response to this urgency and finality, and that's the second theme. And we see that in verse uh, verse 11 of Revelation 22 it says, "Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy." still be holy. In verse uh, 14 and 15, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates, outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And then in verse 17, it says, The spirit and the bride say, Come and let the one who hears say, Come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without Christ. So these verses, what they show us is in this call to action that um, when that day comes, when the end comes, when this uh, final event comes, there's going to be two sides and there is no neutral ground. You have to choose a side. Verse 11, when it says, let the filthy still be filthy and let the righteous still do right, what it's saying is that the patterns of behavior that we're practicing will eventually become irreversible. In verses 14 and 15, it brings up that image of the city that we've talked about so much in recent weeks. You're either inside the city or you're outside the city. Those that pursue holiness are within the city, and those that pursue their own sinful and selfish desires are are outside the city and, and so we have these pictures of okay there's two sides to this when it's all over you don't get to be anywhere in between you're on one side or the other you're with Christ or you're outside of the city with Satan and sin and death and everyone else but there's a tension here that we have to discuss because there's um, it almost seems like a paradox in, in scripture because we read about the emphasis um, that's found on God's grace but also an emphasis on man's responsibility. Okay, I'm not suggesting here that you can behave well enough to earn your way into the city. Okay, when I say patterns of behavior, I'm not saying that you can behave well enough and be a good enough person to earn your way into the city. That's, that's impossible to do. I'm not saying that if you're behaving well, when Jesus returns, you get to go to heaven, and if he catches you doing something bad, um, you go to hell. That, that's not... What we're saying here at all you can't earn your way into the city and you can't behave well enough to make yourself righteous we're reminded of this in verse 17 that we just read we're reminded that the water of life is without price the only way to get it is to simply receive it from christ trusting in his gospel believing he died for your sins and following him is the only way to be in the eternal city it's free that's what makes it grace also while we're saved by grace the one thing we can't ignore is the emphasis that's also placed on behavioral patterns so here's this tension is we're saved by grace we do nothing to earn it however there is a behavioral pattern that's associated with someone who has been saved okay so your life should change and should be progressing you should be becoming more and more like Christ if you have in fact been saved if you if you are in fact pursuing Jesus there should be evidence within your life that proves that and that's what these passages are 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 getting at in verse 15, we have that list of all the people that are outside the city. Well, we have um, other passages that list similar, uh, similar um, that have similar lists. In Revelation 21 8. We see, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then you go to Galatians chapter 5. And we see a list uh, that that's, uh, Paul calls the, uh, the fruit, fruit of the flesh. Galatians is in here somewhere. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 through 21. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries uh, dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things like these and so we see that these people who uh these evildoers these sinners that i mean if you want to put them all in one group they'll be outside of the city now what is paul and john saying when they make these lists does it mean that anyone who has ever lied, does it mean that anyone who has ever been drunk, does it mean that anyone who has ever committed any of these sins are going to be left out of the city? No. Okay, this is not talking about an individual sin in a in a specific moment that that's been committed. What Paul and John referring to when they list out these types of sinful people are they're listing their describing a person that is defined by these sins they're describing a person that um, is so consumed with this sin that they live in it daily and have no remorse have no guilt about it have no desire to change whatsoever that's the kind of person that John and Paul are saying um, are outside of the city that's the kind of person that John and Paul are saying are are, um, against Christ Believers will sin. They will commit sins. First John says that you're a liar if, you're, if you say you're without sin. Okay, We are not going to be perfect as followers of Jesus. However, we should also not be defined by sin. We should not be able to live in it day in and day out without any sort of remorse, without any sort of guilt, without any sort of repentance that's a sign of being someone who is outside of the city instead we should be defined by someone who is battling sin and has a desire for holiness we see that in verse 14 of revelation 22 when it says blessed are those who wash their robes now that word wash is actually better translated washing so what john is saying is blessed are those who are washing their robes it's this idea of a continual and daily pursuit of holiness okay and this is actually really encouraging to me because the fact that we're washing our robes means that um, the people john is referring to that their robes keep getting dirty but they keep washing them and so John is not saying that you have to be perfect to be in the city. What he's saying is you have to have a heart that's pursuing holiness, that's pursuing Christ and is continually washing your robe. It's not saying you have to be someone whose robe never gets dirty, but that you're washing it. And that's the call to action. That's the second theme of the book in response to this urgency, in response to this imminence and this finality is a call to action to choose a side. And what that looks like is you choose to follow Jesus, you choose to trust that he died for your sins, and you love him, and you you want to obey him, you want to follow him, and so you spend every day wanting to be closer to him, pursuing him, and battling sin, and wanting to be holy, wanting to do the right things. Not because you're trying to earn your salvation, but because you appreciate and you love him for already saving you. That's the second theme, it is this call to action. And the third theme, we see in verses 8 and 9. It says, And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. I'm sorry, verse 8. Um, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you, and your brothers are prophets. And with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. So what happens is John sees this angel. The angel is the messenger for Christ, and John starts to worship him. And the angel says, whoa, 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 don't worship me. You're supposed to worship Jesus. I'm only here to point you to Jesus, to Christ. He's the one that this book is about. Don't worship me. Worship Him. And in verse 13, we see Jesus say, again, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then in verse 16, we see Jesus say, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The point of all this is uh, the third theme is the centrality of Christ. Do you want to know what the book of Revelation is about more than anything? It's not about the end of time. It's not about uh, judgment. It's not about any of the... it, It talks about those things, but the main point of the book of Revelation and all of Scripture, for that matter, is Christ. He's at the center of it. It's written to glorify Him. That's the point of the entire book is to have Christ at the center of it and to glorify him. As you, um, in in expository preaching, you're taught to to really look at themes and things like that of the book so that you can kind of see the bigger picture. And one of the ways you do that is you look at the epilogue, the the last passage in a book, which is what we're doing, but you also look at the prologue, uh, the first passage in a book. And if you do that with the book of Revelation, and you go back to Revelation one, in verses one through three, uh, you see the the first the other themes that we're discussing mentioned in Revelation one, one through three. You see urgency, you see a call to action. Uh, you see the, the trustworthiness of God's word, which we're going to talk about in a minute. You see that emphasized. You see these other three themes mentioned, in verses one through three of revelation one in verses four through eight you see the centrality of christ let's read that really quick john to the seven churches that are in asia grace to you and peace from him who is who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So over half of the prologue, this opening passage to this book, over half of it, is dedicated to Christ, to his glory, to praising him, to worshiping him, to glorifying him. <clears throat> so it should be no surprise when we see that the centrality of Christ, him being at the center of everything, him being glorified by everything, it should be no surprise that that's the main theme. It's the most important theme of this book. And it's not just this book, but it's scripture as a whole. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 19, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now that word preeminent means that he's at the top, that there's nothing above him, there's nothing even beside him. He is the only thing that's at the center of our lives, that's at the center of human history and if you get nothing else from this entire book of Revelation, at least take away the importance of keeping Christ at the center of everything you do. And this isn't just reading the book of Revelation, that Christ should be the center of everything we do here at this church. Okay, the angel told John, hey, don't, don't worship me. I'm just a messenger. I'm just pointing you to the one that's supposed to be worshipped. And it's no different here. That the, Our Sunday mornings or not about Byron, or about me, or about anyone else that gets up here and speaks. We're simply a messenger pointing you to Christ. It should never be about us. Um, it, it should always be about Christ. It should never be about the praise team. We're very blessed to have uh, a, a wonderful praise team that leads us in worship every week. But it should never be about coming here to listen to them. It should never be turned into a performance. It should always be a worship service where we are each of us as individuals and collectively as a group worshiping Christ. When you sit down and you read your Bible or you pray or you try to spend time alone with God... It should not be about you. It should be about Christ. It should be about knowing him and following him and pursuing him because too often when we come to church or we sit down for our quiet time, uh, we, we do it with the intention of having our batteries recharged or just wanting to feel better about ourselves or wanting to have some sort of inspiration for our current circumstances, but it shouldn't be about those things. Those can be byproducts, Uh, of a church service or spending time with God or worshiping Christ. Those things can happen uh, whenever we're worshiping Christ, but they shouldn't be the focus of our time. Keep Him central. Even if you take nothing else away from today, know that everything is about Christ. That passage in Colossians tells us that all things were created to glorify Christ. All things are held together to glorify Christ. You're saved by His blood to glorify Christ. None of it's about us. It's about Him. He's gracious enough to include us in His plan to glorify Himself. He didn't have to. But we have to remember that it's all about Him so that He would be preeminent. Are you glorifying Him with your life? Are you living out this Christ centrality that we see in Scripture, or are you making it all about you? And finally, we come to the fourth theme, and that is the the trustworthiness of God's Word and, and the importance of the whole counsel of God. Let's, in verse uh, 6, again, we see uh, these words are trustworthy and true. And then in verse 18 and 19, uh, we have the warning. I warn everyone who hears the words, the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described In this book, now we should note that John is not necessarily talking about the entire Bible that we have today when he's when he's writing this. Okay, um, that being said, every Orthodox teacher throughout church history will say that these verses do in fact apply to all of God's word to the entire. Bible. That's the reason, part of the reason many scholars believe that this book was positioned where it is at the end because you have this last verse that kind of closes it out and says, hey, all of these words that you've just read from Genesis to now are trustworthy and true and they're not to be tampered with. Now, I don't have time this morning to get into why I believe that we can trust the Bible that we have today. Um, there are a lot of uh, liberal theologians and scholars who will say that, you know, we can't trust the Bible, it's been corrupted, and there's a lot of reasons out there why um, they're wrong, and there's a lot of reasons why we can trust God's Word, but if you want to hear all of those, you'll have to come talk to me later, uh, we don't have time for that this morning, but the, the point I want to make is... God has revealed himself and his plan to us in his scriptures. We have those collected and recorded in what we know as the Bible. And there's a reason that the Protestants coined the phrase sola scriptura, scripture alone. Okay, these scriptures that we have, what we call the Bible, are the ultimate authority regarding God and what we know about him. Okay, it's it's the end all be all. Um, if you want to know about God, if you want to know about His plan, if you want to know who He is, if you want want to know what He expects of you as a human being, read the Bible. It is the ultimate authority. The Bible alone is trustworthy. Your feelings about God are not trustworthy. Someone else's special revelation is not trustworthy. Only Scripture is is trustworthy and it says don't add to and don't take away and I want to just discuss those briefly the add to part is really pretty simple okay don't add to these words don't say um don't um don't try to say that God missed something in the Bible and so I'm gonna hey I've got another message for you Okay, if, if there's something that doesn't align with Scripture, if someone has a message for you or a revelation or whatever, and it doesn't align with Scripture, then they're the ones that are wrong. Not the Bible. There's been countless cults and false religions and all sorts of things that are started by some guy saying, Hey, I got this new revelation. God, you know, told me that he missed some stuff when he put the Bible together. You know, we need to Uh, we need to add this. If there's anything that contradicts what we know to be true in Scripture, then it's not God's truth. He's given us His Word, He's closed it, and we're not supposed to add to it. It doesn't matter how you feel about God. It doesn't matter what you think about God. What matters is what he has revealed to us about himself in his word. And then we get to the taking away. And I think this gets a little more complicated because I think we do this without actually knowing it in our modern church culture. Um, There's a lot of ways that we can take away from God's word in in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 through 5 you don't have to turn there but um, Matthew chapter 7 1 is a lot of people's favorite verse a lot of them it's the only verse that they know says judge not there's a lot of people that really love that verse and what they'll do is they'll read that one verse if someone's being mean to them if someone's pointing sin out in their life if someone is trying to call them to repentance they'll use that one verse They'll say, hey, you can't judge me. But what they do is they leave out verses 2 through 5, which explain what Jesus is actually saying is he, he's giving us the prerequisites that we need um, before we go confront someone else's sin. He, it's not this blanket condemnation on judgment. What it's saying is, hey, these are the things that you need to do. You need to take care of these things in your own life so you can go to someone else and help them get over their sin." you can help them pass that but what we do is we take that one verse because it fits what we already believe it fits what we want to be true and we ignore everything else that's taking away from scripture that's taking away from God's word we're saying hey I really like this verse I don't like the rest of them so I'm just going to use it that's why it's so critical for us to have the whole counsel of God Don't just pick and choose what you like. Don't just pick and choose the parts that you want to be true and forget everything else. All of his word is trustworthy and all of it is essential to following and pursuing Jesus. So the conclusion for this message is really pretty simple this morning. It's just this. Live your life passionately and urgently pursuing Christ based on the truths found in Scripture. That's what you're supposed to get out of John's letter of Revelation. Examine your heart and your life, and if you're not doing that, today is the day to make a change. If you're not following Christ, the water of life is free. Seek Jesus, and he'll give it to you. Find somebody and say, hey, I want that water. I want to be in the city, but I'm not sure if, you know, if I am, I'm, I, I have questions. Find somebody this morning and, and, and answer that call to action that we're given in this book. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, <clears throat> the gospel. We thank you that uh, even though there is, there is imminence, there's finality that we're faced with, God, you give us hope and that you offer us the water of life for free that you offer us grace, you offer us mercy, and, and God, I pray that if there's anyone in this building this morning that, that hasn't received that offer, that they would uh, allow this sense of urgency that we're given to, to push them towards you, God, to, to be drawn to Christ by his love and, and by his grace and his mercy, and uh, again, we thank you for what this season of the holidays means to us we thank you that you came to this earth to live a human life and to die on a cross for us and to pay the price for our sins in jesus name amen